Okay. Let's turn on the engine of our soul right now. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that we speak to the innermost parts of our bodies, the innermost parts of our souls right now. Heed the word of God. Heed the voice of the Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name, we don't need a touch from Jesse. We don't need a touch from a good idea. We need you, Holy Spirit, to speak forth, to, to commission and to strengthen, to tear down and build up right now in our lives, in our families, in our society. So God, would you do it now in our midst, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are you ready? We're going to jump right in. Are you ready? Okay. So we're going we're gonna to go into a, a short uh, sermon series on Exodus, okay? But as I started studying this, this Exodus passage, the more I felt like the favor of God was such a theme, and it took me not deeper into Exodus, but actually back to Genesis, and so in order for us to get into Exodus, we actually have to go to Genesis in order for us to understand this theme of God's favor. Where did it come from? What is, it na- what is its nature? We're going to drive right into the story of Joseph. How many of you heard about the story of Joseph before? So Joseph was sold into slavery by his own family. Mm-mm. Talk about family drama right there. I see a couple, some of you are sitting with your family. Don't turn and look at them right now. That would be a bad moment, okay? He's sold into slavery by his own family. He's sold to this rich man in Egypt, okay? And, and Joseph, he works hard in this environment, and he rises in the house. He begins to demonstrate what today we will call the operative favor of God, He finds success and favor, both with man and God. And then, just when it's starting to look really promising, boom, shut down, he's falsely accused, and he's unjustly put in prison. Okay? Now, Joseph is back at the bottom of the food chain, and he begins to do the exact same thing that he had done in the rich man's house. He starts working. He starts working. And he begins to get the operative favor of God again with the guards of the jail, of the prison, to the point where he rises up in ranks as an inmate and he begins to manage the entire prison. Now, if that ain't favor, I don't know what is, okay? He's a prisoner managing everybody. He's probably even dictating to the other guards, to the guards, okay? That's where he's at because he has such a gifting of administration, Now, while he is doing this, there are two inmates. Both have dreams. Now, what I love about Joseph is that he's been sold into slavery unjustly. He's in prison unjustly, and yet he's not overly focused on his own problems. He's able to look up and see when someone else is distraught. That's a mature soul right there. That's somebody who has the emotional intelligence to be able to not just know what's going on inside of them, but also have the the compassion and emotional intelligence to see somebody else. So Joseph sees these two inmates, and they're newer inmates. One was the cupbearer of Pharaoh, 
who, got, who did something, he was put in prison, okay? And the other was the baker of Pharaoh. And both are biting their nails. They're stressed out because they both had dreams and they both don't know what they mean. And so Pharaoh enters into their challenge and he leans into the voice of the Holy Spirit on their behalf and he accurately interprets their dreams. One dream is the cupbearer is restored within three days back to serve Pharaoh. And the other, within three days, he's eliminated. Okay? That's where we're at right now. So as the cupbearer goes out, Okay, and, and the, the, the dreams become true. Joseph kind of, I can imagine, when you go back into your world, don't forget that I helped you in this space, okay? Because he's still in prison. But two full years later, it's clear he's very much forgotten. He's still in prison. He's still in jail. Until one day, the king of Egypt has a dream. In this dream... Pharaoh, he goes and he has this, this dynamic uh, dream where seven big, fat, luscious cows come out of the Nile River. Okay, they're very, they've been given hormonal shots their entire life, okay? They're, but Tom Wolfram, those kind of cows are really, really fat, okay? And then, sure enough, they're on, on the plane right here. And then there's this whole uh, another group, seven cows that are extremely famished, extremely skinny. They've been running probably 30 too many marathons in their day. And they come up and they just consume the seven big cows, okay? Now... Pharaoh then has a mirrored dream about this. And after that mirrored dream, he wakes up in a cold sweat. He's stressed out because he doesn't understand. He has a problem. And so he calls all of his wise men, all of the people close to him, and he explains the dream to them. And nobody is able to give meaning or give a wise interpretation to what the dream means. That is, until the cupbearer, after two years, remembers, oh yeah, I've been here before. And so he tells Pharaoh about Joseph, who's still in prison. And so that, sure enough, in the same day, he's in the pit of despair, and he's taken out of that space, and he's put before the king of Egypt. Are you with me? Okay. So, interestingly... Joseph's seemingly wasted attempts at helping others is what gives him access to solve Pharaoh's problems. And he interprets the dream. The seven years of, or the, I'm sorry, the seven big fat cows, okay, represent seven years of plenty. And then the seven scrawny cows represent after that would be seven years of immense, intense famine. But he doesn't just interpret the dream. He also gives what I call a plan of attack. He gives, okay, here's what you need to do. Bada bing, bada boom. Here's, uh, you do this, this, this. He, and he basically gives him the system needed in order to combat those seven years of famine. He says, you need to tax everybody 20% more over the next seven years and collect it, build storehouses so that then you can give the food out and sell it back to the people when there's no food, okay? 
Pharaoh loves this solution. It resonates in his soul. He gets so giddy with excitement and he realizes this guy who was in prison, he's the one to implement this. And so just like that, Joseph becomes number two in the whole kingdom. Mm-mm-mm. Talk about favor. Now, if I am Joseph, I am in Egypt unjustly. I was sold into fr- slavery unjustly. I was in prison unjustly. If, if I were Joseph, how many of you, if, if you were like him, you would also be very aware of this injustice? Hmm? When you're encountering Pharaoh, when you're standing before the king of Egypt. Now, uh, instead of taking issue at the environment of injustice that Pharaoh had allowed in his country, and by the way, whatever, as a leader, whatever you allow, you also empower. So Pharaoh wasn't involved in those different injustices, but he definitely had built a system that allowed it. And so, in, but instead of taking issue with that environment of injustice, Joseph entered into Pharaoh's world and solved his problem. Joseph entered in. He got outside of himself and into Pharaoh's space, Pharaoh's world. His inclination was not whistleblowing, but problem solving. He could not, or he could have said, you know what, Pharaoh? This whole entire country has given me nothing but headache. You're on your own. Good luck with that dream. (laughs) He could have said that, but he didn't. He solves Pharaoh's problem. Do you see where we're going with this? He solved Pharaoh's problem. And you know what? There was fruit, remarkable fruit. The entire Mesopotamian region was completely saved because of this, because of his stepping into and solving the problem. Egypt became the most powerful nation in the entire world. And Joseph was freed from prison. I like that kind of fruit. That's, That's not small fruit. That's some pretty big fruit right there. Joseph's relevance to Pharaoh brought about his own justice. His relevance... He's operating in an unjust system, and yet he finds his own justice within. You know why? Because it came from heaven's strategies. Joseph was longing for freedom. I'm sure he was longing for freedom, right? Why else would he say to the uh, the cupbearer, Pharaoh's cupbearer, remember me, remember me, right? No, he longed for freedom, and yet it was when he entered into Pharaoh's world and solved Pharaoh's problem that he got what he was actually desiring for. But it came, that freedom came through when those above him recognized his authority and necessity. Through Joseph, Pharaoh gets this download of heaven's strategies of how to navigate the coming famine. Isn't that interesting that God can speak to anybody? He doesn't just speak to the children of God. That's kind of creepy and cool all at the same time. Because here we are, the the covenant people of God, and yet he can go and talk to anybody because he's God after all. 
So Pharaoh gets this download, and it's through this partnership between Pharaoh and Joseph that they begin to build this system of how to overcome it. Now, if I were Pharaoh, and I'm realizing that I'm having heaven strategies coming down, this download, I would, and if I'm a leader of a whole nation, I would be hoping to actually get heaven strategies for avoiding the famine. Anybody else? How many avoiders avoiders out there? Am I the only one? No, we want to avoid the problems that are coming. But God doesn't do that. He gives Egypt the strategies not to avoid, but to overcome it. And something that we need to understand as believers in Christ and those who steward the operative favor of God, like Joseph is in this moment, is that God throws us purposefully into the trench with everybody else. He's not going to, most of the time, he is not going to just make it so that we can avoid the issues of this world. Jesus didn't promise that. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. In the same way, the same exact principle is happening with Pharaoh and Egypt. God is giving a spiritual, powerful, heaven strategies download to Pharaoh and Joseph, and it's not to avoid. It's to overcome. I would like to submit to you that if we are going to partner with the Holy Spirit in the way that the Holy Spirit would like to partner with us, then we don't need to be avoiding the famines. We don't need to be avoiding the economic downturns. We need to be pressing into the voice of God for the strategies therein to be able to overcome. This is one of the mandates, I would say one of the biggest mandates for us as the people of God in our context right now. Are you pressing into the voice of God not to avoid, but to overcome? These are the questions that we need to be asking ourselves. And I would love it if we could introspect right now and look at, your, look at ourselves right now. What is, where am I really coming at this thing? It's tough. Worries jump on our backs like a pack of monkeys. They just, they want to grab onto us. All the different questions. Where, how am I going to feed my family? Where's my next contract going to come from? Is my family going to be safe when I go and visit my uh, uh, family out in the countryside? All of these different things are going on inside of us. And then when we see people on Facebook, you know, our friends abroad, whatever, and they're seemingly having a blast wherever they are, it's tough not to compare, right? Turn off that phone. But you know what? Their famine's coming too. Their famine's coming too. And my question is, when their famine comes, are we going to be stewarding heaven's strategies where we are so that they might even benefit? As the people of God, we have a responsibility to be leaning into God's solution for those above us. That's what Joseph did. He didn't whistle blow. He solved the problem. And he got the justice that he so longed for. So for our government, for our bosses, for our authority figures, for our parents. Okay. Are you with me? Okay. 
So the first step in walking in what we're going to call the operative favor of God is to lean into heaven's strategies for those above you. We are all people of authority and under authority. doesn't matter your station. We all need to understand that our relationship with our boss matters, okay? So Joseph solved Pharaoh's problem, and that gave him favor to become number two in the country. Favor. Mm, mm. Favor. Worship team, you want to back me up? Okay. Get this, okay? Pharaoh was asleep in his Egyptian cotton, high kingly thread count bed, snoring. (sighs) When he got probably a 45 second dream from God. Dreams don't last that long, okay? 45 seconds of that dream, okay? Joseph spent 14 years of his life implementing the revelation that came from that dream. 14 years. I didn't do the math of how many days that is, but that's a lot of days, okay? Imagine, (laughs) imagine Joseph, Pharaoh, and Joseph's assistant. They're working uh, at this table. They're working long, hard hours of how to figure out how to implement this thing, which cities they're going to build, where the storehouses are going to be, how they're going to implement this 20% tax on top of what the people are already being taxed, okay? And and Pharaoh's getting tired. And Pharaoh's like, I'm tired, guys. I'm going to go sleep, okay? And Joseph's assistant is like, all right, absentmindedly, he says, oh, sweet dreams. And, Fair, or, and, and Joseph's just like, ah, no more dreams, okay? No more dreams. We have enough dreams. Because sometimes people above you might have a 45-second moment, and you are going to have to solve that problem, and it might cost you 14 years. Sometimes, so Joseph had to implement it. But you know what? That implementation gave him the operative favor of God. What's my point? Favor doesn't come for free. Operative favor doesn't come for free. You can clap to that. It's a painful clap. I I hear it. It's a painful clap. Operative, God's operative favor does not come for free. It comes because somebody answered a call and did something about it. That's what Joseph did. If we, as the people of God, Beza, if we as Beza, if we are going to be led by the Spirit, we better be ready to work for the Spirit. I love dreams. I love prophetic words. I love words of knowledge straight from heaven. I love it. But know that it doesn't come for free. Joseph didn't receive enduring favor from interpreting the dream. He received favor by implementing it. Okay? It was when he shifted from consultant to shareholder, when he started to take on the responsibility that the, the operative favor of God was placed on his life, and Pharaoh saw it. Consultancy. Okay. 
Consultancy is a fun gig. It really is. Because you can just have all these ideas and you can throw them over to the people who are paying for the idea. Joseph didn't stay there. He walked across and he said, all right, put it on my shoulders. I'll do it. You know, there's a, there's a saying, um, uh, some people, uh, yeah, yeah, there's a saying where you're, you're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Have you heard that before? Where uh, the spiritual people who are in tune with God, who get pr- dreams and visions and prophetic words and all these things are actually not relevant for what's going on here. I'm here to tell you that in God's system, it's totally opposite. When we lean into the voice of God, that is when we actually need to take that and be willing to shift over here out of consultancy and into responsibility. That's when that phrase no longer is relevant to you and me. We cannot afford to be the spiritual people of the city. No, 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 no. We need people of all faiths to be able to watch our lives and say, wow, they're doing something over there. Amen? So imagine, Joseph gets this responsibility. He has the first two days of glory, right? Where he's put on the, on the chariot, and Pharaoh's like, look, Joseph, my number two. Woo! I say two, you say what? Two, what? Yeah, okay, anyway. So Joseph is really enjoying those first two days. Do you think everything went smoothly for him after that? Do you think that he wouldn't get pushback from the community of implementing another tax on top of what they were already taxed? Do you think that when he was like, um, reading the plan to all the, the magistrates of the land, yeah, I've called you together because um, we're going to actually um, tax you another 20%. Um, you've already got 30 plus VAT, okay? Um, Okay. Do you think that they wouldn't push back on that? Do you think they wouldn't be attacking him? Do you think he was above criticism? (sighs) Do you think the previous number two guy wanted him to succeed? (laughs) We're talking about 14 years of implementing heaven strategies for Egypt and the whole Mesopotamian region. 14 years, day in and day out. Woo. Now it took diligent obedience with radical faith to implement that heaven strategies. And imagine, okay, the first seven years are uh, uh, years of massive harvest. Can you imagine the criticism? Why are you taxing us? I had plans for that money. I was gonna start this business over here. Now you're taking it away from me and you're just starting those big things. What for? This is going great. I bet a lot of people were saying stuff like that. He had to stick to his vision. He had to stick to what God had had revealed to him in that minute with Pharaoh. There was a lot of resistance to him holding the straight and narrow. Now he was getting criticized all the time, all the time. And you know what else is interesting? Is it would take seven years until he would be justified with his holding straight. 
Seven years of radical faith. Seven years of, oh God, I hope this was right. Oh God, I hope I heard you right. Oh God, oh sweet Jesus. That's what you get when you move from consultant to responsibility. When you start implementing heaven's strategies for earthly responsibility and good. If you want token favor, then just give token obedience. But if you want the operative favor of God to be stewarded in your life and the generations to come, it's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost. It's gonna cost. So I wanna ask you this. What has God been saying to you? Because we serve a God who does speak. And he does speak to you. The word that you're stewarding right now, that you're holding close, is it a sit, wait, watch kind of word? Or is it a word where you're going to actually have to give 20 years of your life in order to see it come to pass? What kind of word is it that's in your soul? I'd be very interested. Joseph knew the difference and obeyed accordingly. What's in your soul? What's in your soul? Now, Israel enjoyed many generations of favor because of what Joseph did, that operative favor of God. Isn't that awesome? Many generations because of what Joseph did. You know, I'm just thinking about if we're going to honor Joseph right now in the Bible, the Bible honors him, we're honoring him right now. Could we just sit in this space a little bit longer? And could we just reflect, what are the Josephs in your life where you are walking in somebody else's favor? What have people done who have gone before you where you have benefited? Could you just think, even if you have your phone, you could just write down maybe two, three, four names. I want to invite you over the next week to ask the Holy Spirit, how would you be inviting me to honor those people? It could be a card. It could be a phone call. It could be a gift. It could be something. It could be something. But I just want to invite us to honor those who have gone before us where we are actually walking in the favor that we never paid for. If there's one thing that we need to learn how to get good at, it's honor. Let's do it, church. Can we do that? All right. So God, thank you. In fact, let's just pray right now. Thank you, Lord, for the people who have gone before us, who have stewarded the operative favor of God in their generation. And so God, we thank you, Lord, for their sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, for what they have done. And we appreciate how we are walking in their favor. Would you bless them now in Jesus' name? Thank you, God. The famine after that seventh year of plenty, boom, hits hard. Canaan, Syria, that in, uh, Iraq, the whole area, Egypt, that whole entire region goes into this intense famine. But Joseph 
and Egypt are ready. They open up the storehouses that they've been building over the last seven years. And they start selling the grain back to the Egyptians. Thus, Egypt goes from middle of the pack kind of country to the most powerful. Okay? And, the, and, and not only that, the famine gets so intense that all the countries, this is in Genesis 41, all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. All the countries came. Because of Joseph's enduring obedience, Israel's descendants got favor. They were saved from the famine. They had rite of passage. They had the best land. They were given the best land in Egypt, okay? But Egypt got favor too. Isn't it interesting that your obedience to heaven's strategies won't just benefit you? It won't just benefit the church, but it's going to benefit everybody around you? That's God's design for transforming society, okay? Egypt went from middle of the pack to the most powerful the nation, to Egypt not just being able to deal with the famine for themselves. They not only were able to solve their own problems, they were able to help solve others as well tangible answers to, the out, to problems outside of their own borders. Why? How? The place that implements heaven's strategies will always command relevance to those around it. The people who lean into the presence and spirit of God for heaven's strategies will always be relevant to them around, those around them. Why? Because they're not applying Band-Aids they're getting to the deepest needs of what people in society needs. Mm. Isn't that an awesome story? Praise God. Okay. There are so many stories, guys, of how, you know, we read the Bible like it's, I want to make sure that we understand it's not a fairy tale. This is God's story in history, and the book is still being written. This book is done. But his story in your life is still going. And I'm banking on the fact that there are more Josephs in this land. I'm banking on the fact that we are not relegating ourselves to be spectators of God's story. We are engaging. Can I have you as a running mate in that regard? Can we bank on each other being that, those kind of people? Beza, this is a defining moment in our story. We are in a defining moment. I was about to tell you a really cool story of how somebody had, uh, of, uh, was praying and got a vision of this crazy idea, this, this mechanism to put on top of a, a front loader on, on one of the construction, a front loader, you know that, where it has a, a shovel kind of thing in the front? And he, he just had this idea while he was praying, and, and he started, and he drew it on a napkin, Okay, and he began to show some people, and, and people were like, uh, I don't think it's going to work. And he showed some engineers, like, yeah, that's not going to work. And he, but he didn't give up on the idea. And you know, he started to design, he started to work on it, he started building this thing. And what it was was a, a new kind of way to fight fires. He he lived in Northern California, and where there's a lot of fires, and have been for the last ten years, a lot of fires. And so he, he designed this thing, he built this thing. And when finally he, he put it into production 
And what's so cool about his story is that it has become a global solution for firefighting around the world. Australia has ordered so many of them. Japan has ordered so many of them. Brazil, the US, all the different governments around the world are seeing this thing and it's like, wow, this is what we need for our firefighting. Where did it come? Heaven's strategies downloaded to somebody who believed in God's voice and had the courage to implement it in the face of mockery. Man, do we have that kind of guts? That's what Joseph did, and that's what God wants us to do. So, here we are, Exodus chapter 1. Joseph brings Jacob and his whole family down to Egypt. They're given the best land in Egypt. They have so much of this favor from the operative favor of God that Joseph has been operating from. And then Joseph and his brothers, that whole generation dies off, but the generations of Israel continue to have favor with Egypt. The Bible says that they increase, multiply, and became exceedingly mighty. And then comes verse 8 of Exodus chapter 1. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. I'm going to read it again. Now there arose a new king who did not know Joseph. A new king who didn't know why the Israelites were in his land. That's really what it's trying to say. For years, things seem solid to Israel and the Israelites, secure, but the climate begins to shift. They're not sure of their social standing anymore because of their ethnic background. What's going to happen? Israel goes from favor to favor unknown. What once was a safe haven for Israel in Egypt becomes a threat. But if we were to flip it from Pharaoh's perspective, what once contributed to society now is only a threat to society. Israel went into the government office expecting a raise. They showed Joseph's picture and got hard labor instead. What happened? Are you ready for this? Favor. In fact, we'll say God's operative favor has expiry dates. You cannot rely on yesterday's miracles to gain favor with today's pharaohs. You cannot rely on yesterday's miracles to gain favor with today's pharaohs. Your boss, your authority figure, the government. Your boss might have been appreciative of what you did a couple years ago, but she's looking right now for what you're going to do for this problem. Every generation must dig deep into the voice of Jesus to be relevant to the kings of today. Otherwise, you're going to relegate yourself to be just seen as a threat or worse, irrelevant and therefore easily exploited. Every generation's got to dig deep into the voice of God to be relevant to the kings of today. So I'm just going to share quickly. It's uh, it's true. Everybody, like we had just said, walks in the favor of those who have gone before, right? Now you have your list of names of whom you're going to honor, right? For me, I'm going to make it very personal for you. I um, enjoy 
a certain amount of favor by those who have gone before me. I can go into multiple cities all around the world. I can go into Germany, into Frankfurt. I can go into cities all around the U.S. and go into the Ethiopian community. And for those who are 65, 68, 70 years old and above, and they hear my name, they love me. <laughs> they really do. Why? Because my grandparents served many years here in Ethiopia. My grandpa performed thousands of surgeries uh, in this country, in different places, and did. there's so many stories. I wish I could share more. And so I love hanging out with the 70-year-olds. You know why? Because they just accept me. They're just right off the bat, oh, oh, come, let's have coffee. Oh, come. And they just, they are predisposed to liking me. And I like it. Okay? I'm going to be honest with you. I like it. They accept me instantly, not because of anything I did, but because of the blood, sweat, and tears of those who have gone before me. Blood, sweat, and tears. It's not my own deeds. But you know what? I try and talk to the Gen Z or the millennial generation about my grandparents and what they did in the 50s, 60s, 70s of this country and the 90s or whatever, whatever, okay? And you know what? They don't care. <laughs> I can walk in with all these cool 19, 25, 30-year-olds and be like, yeah, my grandparents did that back, back when your grandparents were babies, you know, or whatever, you know? And they're like, uh, we don't care. Who's this Faranji before me? What are you doing in our country? <laughs> it's true. They don't care. And why should they? Because... Favor's clock is ticking. My grandparents' favor is expiring. It got me to where I am, but it's not going to get me to where I'm going. And the same is true with the favor that you are enjoying from those who have gone before you. You can enjoy it now, but you better be working now to listen to the heaven strategies for tomorrow. Amen? The operative favor of God comes from God, but it's ticking. It has an expiry date. I'm not being harsh. It's, it's life, okay? It doesn't matter what you have done in the past. It doesn't matter what your country has done in the past. We need today's grace today for today's work, okay? The effect of the favor of the past like my grandparents, like the people who have run before you, the effect of it might live on, but its favor does not. Don't be right, don't be thinking about the effect and think that the favor is just gonna coast you through all the way. No, you need to do the hard work of leaning into God's strategies. Amen? Okay. 400 years the Israelites went into slavery. We don't know what, to what degree, but 400 years, do you think that no Egyptian, no Pharaoh, no boss ever had a dream in those 400 years? Do you think that it was a dreamless, visionless time where there were no problems that had to be solved, no trouble on Pharaoh's heart? He never woke up in the middle of the night with cold sweats? Or do you think that somebody, he, 
that was happening in Egypt, but nobody stepped up. Or maybe they stepped up, an Israelite stepped up, but they took the opportunity to voice the injustices in, the, in their life rather than take the opportunity to be relevant for the king. Hmm. Listen to me carefully. I'm not protecting injustice. I'm proposing a different way to overcome it. Are you with me? Okay. Heaven's strategies are here. You have access to them as you call upon the blood of Jesus over your life. You have access in a way that other people do not have access. My question today is, are we listening? Because we need to be, because the world has more problems than it has solutions right now. The bosses and leaders and pharaohs of today are waiting for the sons and daughters of God to rise up and help solve their problems and implement it. So Beza, I'm asking you, I'm challenging and charging you to rise up and implement. Don't worry about this comfortability of consultancy. You walk over here and you implement. It might be 45 seconds over here with Pharaoh, but it's gonna cost you 14 years, and we gotta be okay with that as the body of Christ. Because what else would we wanna do and spend our lives doing than implementing the heavens, heavenly strategies of God here on this earth? I can't think of anything better to spend my energy and time doing than doing that for society, than doing that for the pharaohs. Even if the pharaohs of today, I'm talking about bosses, I'm talking about leaders, I'm talking about anybody above us, even if they are building a system that's unjust, how better than to in, come in and bring heaven down to earth in the midst of that? Are you willing to spend yourself? Are you willing to spend yourself for implementation or do you just want to give the prophetic word? What we think is relevant and what Pharaoh thinks is relevant won't always be the same, okay? We all have our own perspectives. We all have our own intuition. We all have our own uh, vision of, of what needs to happen where in our businesses and these kinds of things. But you know what? Joseph's freedom, Joseph's freedom was what was relevant to him because he was in an unjust system kept in prison unjustly. That's what's relevant to him. Freedom is relevant to him. But for Pharaoh, he has a different itch that needs to be scratched. And the same is true of today. It's unrealistic to think that your boss will care what you have to say until you care to solve his problem. And it's not about getting in the mind of Pharaoh, okay? It's about getting in the mind of Christ. We... That, that's what Paul says. We have the mind of Christ. But how often are we accessing the mind of Christ? Can we cast off our own opinions long enough to take on his? Church, that's what I'm asking us to do. Lord Jesus, may you give us the mind of Christ. May you give us good, not good ideas, but God ideas. May you not give us Band-Aid organizations and businesses, but the kind of businesses that go down to the root and bring heaven solution all the way into the miry clay in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for giving us divine strategies, divine ways, to, to solve problems for our bosses, for our government, for our fathers and mothers above us. 
I pray an increase over each and every one of us of sustained obedience, the kind of obedience that Joseph demonstrated all those years ago. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to just wrap it up here. Verse 8. There arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. What do we do when those above us change, but we do not? This is part of life. How do we manage that? The, 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 the boss changes, the transfer happens, the, uh, the election happens again, whatever, and it, things change. How do we steward that space? I, uh, it is unavoidable. And so we, need, we actually should get good at transitions. Okay, Daniel served three different kings while he was in Babylon. What can we do? Okay, so I'm going to end with this point. I've been talking about this concept of the operative faith or uh, operative favor of God. That's the kind of favor where you walk, where Joseph not only interprets the dream, but walks into stewarding it and implementing it. Okay, and that's what made him number two in the nation. That we're calling operative favor of God, okay? Now, there's another favor at play in the story with, with the Israelites in Egypt, and we're gonna call it the covenant favor of God. Just because they were Israel, just because they were the people of God, they walked in favor. Joseph had favor, but it had an expiration date. The Israelites despite the expiration date of Joseph's favor, they had covenant favor operating underneath the whole time. Let me show you. The new Pharaoh, he sees, he's afraid. He looks at, whoa, these guys are really numerous. They're very mighty. They're very powerful. And so he makes the decision to oppress, to enslave, to try and obliterate them off the face of the planet. Okay? And no matter how hard he oppressed them, it produced the opposite, opposite of what he intended it to do. Verse 12, right here. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. The more they oppressed, the more they expanded. The, it produced the exact opposite of what he wanted it to do. Only covenant favor can do that. Only the covenant of God over our lives through the blood of Jesus can be operating in a place of oppression and slavery and turn it completely around. You and I not only have access to the operative favor of God by stepping in and implementing heaven strategies, we also have the covenant favor of God at accessible to our fingertips right now simply because of the blood of Jesus. This covenant favor operated in Israel's history right here. And what happened is they expanded and expanded. No matter how many times they tried to kill off the next generation, they grew and grew. And I would, I would actually say to you, I would submit to you that this oppression, when it, when it mixed with the covenant favor of God, it produced and prepared Israel for the next. They were working with brick and mortar 
but God was preparing them for milk and honey. And, and that is what we can bank on and what we can, can, can believe and, and steward as we are going through difficult times right now, you need to understand that even when you feel like you don't have the operative favor of God like Joseph had, you have the covenant favor of God and it will produce and it will prepare you for your next. What you need to do is not abort. Don't Avoid the famine because the famine is going to produce. It's going to prepare you for your next. And so you need to dig down deep. You need to get that kind of grit and you need to hunker down and keep on going because it will produce. The covenant favor of God always produces because it's not dependent on you. It's dependent upon the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus never fails. And it is never running dry. It continues to flow to this day in every nation where there are believers. And so, God, I want to thank you for the blood covenant that you made with us. As we, as you hung on that cross, we come underneath your authority in that. And we say, we will not depend on ourselves. We will depend upon your covenant that you have commissioned and given to us through your your death and resurrection in Jesus' name.